Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Well, we are looking at the parables of Jesus and Matthew. I just picked out a couple parables to give some exposure to that kind of teaching after doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week I did a longer intro to parables and how to read them. Uh, this week I've, I've got to give you a little more grasp of what Jesus is trying to do with the parables in talking about the kingdom. Jesus loves this language of kingdom, and it's a little hard for us to grasp. You can think of the kingdom of God as the rule of God, the, uh, the sovereignty of God, the authority of God, the administration of God. It's this idea that the world is not listening to its king, but that it should, and that it is, and someday it will be, that God is in charge. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is, is not just coming, it's, it's here. It's breaking into this world. And, and we're meant to be people who bring the kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. That, that's the work of, uh, of the Christian. And so for Jesus, heaven is the other world of God that's totally under God's subjection. And God's rule, and it's, but it's breaking in. And so heaven is coming here. The kingdom is coming here. And in Jesus, the king is coming here. Um, so th- there's, this, there's this expectation coming out of the Old Testament, particularly coming out of uh, the, the prophets, that, that God's rule was coming. That, that things aren't how they should be, but they're not always going to be that way. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the, the prophets started to look at the expectation that there is one coming who's going to make things right. Okay? One who's going to rule from the house and lineage of David. And his name will be called in Isaiah, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Okay? There's this Son of God, this Son of Man, this, this human one who's also going to be from God and they're going to bring about that kingdom. And the expectation is that when he comes, there's going to be judgment and things are going to be made right. And Jesus is saying in his teaching all the time, the kingdom is coming. The one who's coming is here. And in so many ways, Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies. Now, now the, the question is, what are they expecting? And in Jesus' day, the people were expecting more of a, a military, a political rule. I mean, when they thought the kingdom of God, they're thinking Israel. Okay, they, because of the, Maccabee, the Maccabean revolt, because of the comeback from exile, because of the oppression of the Roman authority, they're thinking this Messiah is going to come, he's going to free Israel. 
In fact, even at Jesus' ascension in the book of Acts, there's somebody who says, well, are you, are you right now going to restore Israel? Like, is now the time when the kingdom comes? See, they have these expectations of the kingdom that don't quite line up. So Jesus uses parables to try to help them understand this kingdom is not what you think it is. It's not going to happen how you think it is. And, and, and the tricky part that Jesus is, is in parables trying to teach them to prep them for is they don't understand that it's going to happen in parts. Okay? That Jesus is coming, right? And he's here, and he's going to pay the price, but that then he's going to leave, and the Holy Spirit's going to be with them for a time, and then in the end, uh, the, uh, the, the whole thing is going to come to a conclusion, okay? Right? Like the, the victory is won, but it's not quite claimed yet, okay? The, uh, the score is really, really high, but the clock hasn't quite run out yet, okay? And there's this sense of now and not yet, and Jesus is trying to help people understand how this works. And this, this gets tricky because in, in this particular, particular section of Matthew, Jesus is talking about the coming Son of Man and the judgment that's going to come. And the big thought here is nobody knows the day or the hour. Not even he knows the day or the hour. Okay, So we don't know. And, and it's partially because Jesus is not just talking about that to come. He, he, he's talking about um, that he's already here. And so that's kind of tricky. And so to help you get that, uh, just think about this. In the Gospel, in, in the book of Revelation, uh, John recounts uh, this idea in chapter 1 and then in chapter 4 again that, that God is the one who was, that Jesus is, was and is and is to come. In fact, in, in chapter 4 there are these creatures that are praising before the throne and they are saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is a great way to think about Jesus. Okay, that Jesus was, I mean, there was a time when he came and he walked on this earth and he did all the things that he did and he healed and he ate and he laughed and then he died and then he rose again. Okay, so there's the, the was, the past tense. And then there's the Jesus who is, who is with us, who is at the right hand of the Father, but who in the Spirit is with us now. And then there's the Jesus who will be. In other words, the coming, the second coming. Okay? The expectation that someday Jesus is going to return and everything is going to be subject. And, and suddenly Jesus is going to break back into the right now. Okay? There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. Was, is, is to come. That's a little tricky for us because... Um, we were taught that you stayed in your tents, past, present. I used to get in trouble for this all the time in papers. I still have trouble with it in, in, in writing, in writing sermons and all kinds of things. Where I like to switch tense. Yeah, I'll start talking about a story in the past tense, and then I'll make it present tense. Yeah, or I'll go to the future tense. And I used to get red marks on my papers. Don't change tenses. But in the Jewish understanding, you, you change tenses. Okay, when the Jewish people would, would gather for the, the uh, Passover celebration, they were remembering the Exodus, past, what was, but they're also remembering Exodus as something that is, right? I need Exodus. You need Exodus. Okay, and in the future, looking forward to an Exodus at that time, Jesus looking forward to uh, freedom from the slavery, from the oppression of the Romans. So, so this is important for us because Jesus is perfectly fine 
to talk about past, present, and future, was and is and is to come, and, and just kind of blur those because in him they're all coming together at the same time, right? He is the one who was and is and is to come. Now, I know that's tricky. It's a little hard to get your head around. Trust me, Christians have been struggling with this, that this idea of now and not yet was and is and is to come, that, that we live in this weird time where Christ has won, but he hasn't claimed the victory totally yet. And, and we live in this in-between time. Okay, But, but it's so important to understand that when Jesus starts talking about the second coming, because he doesn't talk about the second coming divorced from the first coming. <laughs> And the, the, the activity in our lives. So in this section of Matthew, starting in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the return of the Son of Man. And, and he's clearly talking about coming judgment and the, the second coming. But, but he's not divorcing that idea from the current coming or the coming of the Holy Spirit. So you've got to be able to read it on all those layers. And, and in 24 he says that, and again he repeats the phrase here in 25, no one knows the day or the hour. In other words, we, you don't know when the Son of Man is coming, in part because he's already come. And so he, he's trying to get them to, to give up those ideas of worrying about when. Um, and, and so he, he tells this little story in 25 of a steward who is working and his boss comes back. And, and the idea is, you know, that the, the, the Son of Man could come anytime. Could be, could be soon. Could be now. Could be later today. Could be in an hour. As I saw it as a, on a bumper sticker one time, Jesus is coming, look busy. Right? Maybe it's today. That, that's the story in 24. And then he gives this parable that we read in 25. Now, i got to tell you that a lot of scholars hate this parable. Okay? But a lot of people find this to be a confusing parable. And uh, in part because we, we don't quite know what the wedding sort of festivities and customs were exactly. I mean, we don't have good record of it all. Uh, we know that in some ways uh, they, they varied regionally. For instance, you're from Western Pennsylvania, and when you go to a wedding reception, you expect a cookie table. My friends from around the country have never heard of this amazing tradition, okay, because it's a regional thing. Okay, so, so what exactly is going on for this wedding festivities? Well, we know enough to give us the general idea. Okay, we know that a, a, a girl of the age of maybe 12 or 13, would have been adulthood in that day, would be betrothed to a man. Normally the man would be older, maybe 18, 24, 26, a little more established. And um, uh, the idea was you would get betrothed, which is more than an engagement. Remember from the Christmas story, when Joseph wants to break off the betrothal, he has to give a divorce. But the difference was when you were betrothed, it was like you were married, but the girl was still living with her family, okay, under her father's household. Okay, so you were together, you were committed to each other, but you were living in your, the, the bride was living, the wife was living in her parents' house, okay. Then when the marriage would come together, the groom well, the, the, is when the, the wedding would be, when the bride went to be with the groom. And there would be this major feast. I mean, it would take uh, uh, several days of partying. We, we know some of those uh, festivities. It would be this big celebration to help uh, celebrate that this betrothal is now a marriage and that the uh, bride is finally moving in uh, with the groom. 
So we, we know that, but we, we're not quite sure how this transition would, would happen. Uh, in some places, we know that the, the groom would come over to the bride's parents, there would be a dinner, and then they would all come together uh, and travel over. There'd be like a parade, a wedding party would, would go with them to the groom's house when the bride actually moved in, and then the wedding feast would begin. Okay, now, uh, in this parable, we're not quite sure if these brides, these, these women are sort of bridesmaids, if they're on the trip, they're at somebody's house waiting for the groom, is he going to go pick up the bride, or are they going to the wedding party? We're just not totally sure, um, but we know enough to give us the idea of kind of what's going on here. So these 10 women, they're called virgins. Um, that, that just means young women, okay? The assumption was, if you were not married, you were a virgin. So that may not be the assumption we would make today, but in those days, that was definitely the assumption. So these young women are a part of this wedding party that's going to, uh, to take the groom and either maybe the groom and the bride to the groom's house for the start of the feast, or maybe to the bride's house to pick up the bride, to go to the wedding feast. We're not quite sure exactly the festivities, but we know there's 10 of them, and they're, they're some kind of part of the ceremony. They each have either like a lamp or some kind of torch, and, and they're meant to sort of light the way on the journey. And, and maybe these are like festive lamps. Um, like in those days, instead of going to David's bridal to get dressed, you got your lamp, and your lamp was a part of the ceremony, and you needed to have your lamp to, to and it was sort of a, a place of honor. Um, we're not quite sure, again, all of the festivities, but we know these bridesmaids are waiting for the groom, um, but the groom is delayed. Okay, he's late. He doesn't come when he's supposed to. And so they get sleepy. They're, they're at somebody's house waiting for this groom, and then they hear that, oh, the groom is coming. So they get up. It's been so long, they've got to put oil in their lamps or torches or whatever they have and, and uh, cl clip the wicks and get ready so they can have fire to go on the celebration. But we're told that there are five wise uh, virgins or bridesmaids and five unwise. The unwise haven't brought any extra oil. So because the groom has been so long, they got to get their lamp together or their torch together, and they can't because they don't have enough to go on. The wise ones do. So the unwise say, well, give us some of your oil so that we can be ready and be part of the festivities. I wonder if it was a dishonor to not have the lamp, as if maybe, you know, like a bridesmaid that refuses to buy the dress or something. Um, but the, some people have tried to make this parable about these uh, ungracious bridesmaids or virgins that won't share their oil. But remember, they're called the wise ones. And what they know is if they share their oil, they won't have enough oil. And then nobody will have enough oil, and so there won't be a bridal party because nobody can light their lamps. So they tell these women, to go to the market and get some oil. Now it's midnight, so that's a strange time to go shop. But we, we do think that in cultures that didn't have electricity, they would often go to bed when the sun went down and then you would get up in the middle of the night and naturally sort of have a couple hours. They, so they probably could find oil in the middle of the night. But, but they, they go to find their oil, and when they come back, the bridegroom has come, and they have missed it. And they go to the, the party, and they uh, knock on the door, and they say, Lord, Lord, let us in. And the bridegroom says, I, I never knew you. This is a clear 
a clear connection to the Sermon on the Mount, where it says not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter, okay? Uh, but he will say, I never knew you. Okay, very clear connection to the Sermon on the Mount. So these women miss out on the party because they weren't ready. Now, a lot of people try to make this sermon a lesson about, or this parable a lesson about being ready. Like, like we said in chapter 24, it could happen anytime. Jesus is coming, look busy, be ready. But I don't think that's how this sermon should, this parable should be read. I think all the bridesmaids, all the virgins are ready for Jesus to come. Okay, they're all, they're all ready for the bridegroom to come. The wise ones are the ones who are ready for him not to come. The unwise ones aren't ready for the delay. The wise ones are ready for him to be late. It's almost like the, the opposite lesson of 24. Jesus is coming. It could be any minute. But now Jesus is coming. It could be a while. It could be a while. And Jesus' audience needed to hear that because, because they're thinking this kingdom is breaking in right now. But Jesus understands that it's, it's a, it's a two-part plan. There's going to be a delay. And Matthew's audience would have really taken to this parable, I think, because a lot of the early church thought Jesus would be coming really pretty soon, which here we are 2,000 years later. We kind of understand that's not the case. They were still looking. This parable would have been important for them to understand. And there are still Christians today that want to say, oh, Jesus is coming. Jesus, you know, next week, it could be tomorrow. Be ready. And in some ways, it's sort of an escapism. Like if Jesus would just come back, like, forget all these fires, forget all the tensions in our country, forget coronavirus. Just, Jesus, come back and take it all away. But to do that is to miss out on what's going on right now. What does it take to be a Christian when Jesus doesn't come back? When Jesus is late? When Jesus delays? To be a Christian that lives the now, lives in the is waiting for the is to come, but can actually live in the now. What if Jesus is late in your own life? What if, what if Jesus doesn't make the treatments work, right? What if the pregnancy doesn't end in joy? What if the job is lost? Okay, what if the fires continue? You ever had Jesus be late by your, by your terms? What does it take to have be a Christian when Jesus is late, when Jesus doesn't do what we want, when he doesn't fix all my problems that I have faith? Have you built up enough oil in your faith, enough practice, enough hope to where when Jesus is late, when he delays, when he doesn't show up the way you want him to, you can actually handle that? See, this is why the was and is and is to come is so important. Because the is to come is is to come some time in the future we live right now and sometimes in the is it's hard to see jesus is close it's hard to see jesus is loving that's why we go back to the was we read our bibles we tell these stories to remember what christ has done and to find strength there and we remember the is to come is coming we have a hope that that man it's not good right now but it will be someday see that's that's what it's like to wait on Jesus, but to wait with hope, to wait with expectation, 
so that however long this COVID stuff goes on, however, whatever happens in your life, you, you're, you're waiting with hope and expectation for what is to come. But you've got enough oil in the tank. You've got enough oil in the lamp that you don't burn out in the is. To be wise is not to be ready for Christ to come, Christ to answer, Christ to show up, the second coming to arrive. To be wise as a Christian is to be ready for those things not to happen and to have enough hope to keep going and keep being light when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to. That's the lesson of the parable. To be ready for him not to come. Because you don't know when the day or the hour is, so stop worrying about it. That's why I don't talk that much about Revelation. That's why I'm not like into all these prophecies about when is it and what's it going to be like. Because all that stuff doesn't matter. I know how the chapter ends. I'm going to live in the now and be hopeful in the now. So may you find that hope that in the middle of whatever your is is, you can remember the was and you can hopefully expect the is to come that you would have enough faith to keep burning. <laughs>